0: We need to reach everyone and sometimes it's easy to see crowds and forget the one it's easy to see stadiums and big churches but every church every stadium everything is made up of ones every seat is one and there's one life that you interact with every day. There's one person somewhere that you see the one. And I believe God wants to bring a movement of people that see the one. I have a heart to see stadiums fill. I have a heart to see churches. I have a heart to see that. But listen, it it can't be greater than seeing the one. It's about one life, one person. Welcome to the Resurgence Messages podcast. We gather and minister regularly for the purpose of reaching people, reviving churches, and releasing leaders. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you to arise for the kingdom of God. For more information on the ministry of Resurgence and how you can take part, check out LiveForSurgeons.com. In Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 5. I want to uh, take us there tonight. I believe God's put a word on my heart to share. And uh, it's been, I've been wrestling this is, with this for a few weeks, uh, about a month. And, um, and so Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching. And his Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking things to themselves. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The word that God's put on my heart for us tonight is this thought, everyone. The thought of everyone. And I believe this, uh, God showed me this word as I, as I just prayed about everyone. And, I, and I, here's what I want to preach tonight, if, if you've heard me preach before, but how I preach. I just believe that God wants to meet with every one of us tonight. The reason we do resurgence is because we believe there's an encounter for every single one tonight. And so I, I've come expecting. I don't come as an expert. I've come expecting because I just know God wants to meet with everyone. And so whether you're close to God or you don't even know where you're at with God, it doesn't matter. He wants to meet with you tonight. There, there's an encounter for you tonight. And so can we just close our eyes and just put your hands in front? I'm going to ask you to pray a profound, very long prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Can we all just say come? Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. See, here's what I want to share. Everyone starts with the one. And in the story, as it opens up, you know, one day Jesus was talking with the Pharisees. It starts with Jesus. It's pretty easy. We're in a Christian church, we're at a Christian event. It's pretty, it's about Jesus. But I think we have to stop there and actually go there because this story starts with Jesus. This whole story is about Jesus. See, when I talk about everyone, every is an adjective and one can function as a pronoun there, representing a person. So everyone actually means every person or all people. And in this context, according to ChatGBT, every (laughs) modifies one (laughs) to emphasize the inclusivity of all individuals. One serves as a noun because it represents a single person. And in everyone, it refers to every individual collectively. There's something about that everyone. And and we can't talk about everyone unless we talk about the one. The whole story is around the context of Jesus. See, everyone in that house was there that day because Jesus was in that house. There, there was a draw to the house because Jesus was there. This is Jesus who, uh, at, at the end of the Old Testament, they say there were 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. 400 years where it seemed that God seemed silent. 400 years of no prophets. 400 years of this silence bef- from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And, and it's in this atmosphere where there's a silence. Ma- Mal- Malachi said he spoke the words of God and then it was silent. 400 years. That's a long time. That's a long time of silence. That's our lifetimes times four, five, six, you know. That's, that's a long time. And then come the Gospels. It's the account of the silence being shattered. It's it's Jesus was born. He was born to a virgin Mary. You know, um, he he was born to this thing. He, John one declares he is the Word that became flesh. He, Jesus is God. This is a miracle. Someone says, ah, Travis, I don't believe in miracles. You can't believe in the gospel of Jesus, the gospel Christianity, because the whole thing is based on a miracle. The whole plumb line of our faith is a miracle. Jesus. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's the miracle of Jesus. And here we have the miracle starts ministering. This Jesus starts to minister. And this is where this, this story picks up. In John 1, he's actually walking around. And John the Baptist, who was saying, hey, he's coming, he sees him and he says, look, God's lamb. Look, see God's lamb. One version says, behold the lamb of God. Behold. Uh, you know, and, and two people heard John say that and are like, huh? They they were the followers of John, and they are like, huh, behold the Lamb of God? See, that behold word in the Greek actually in this passage carries the idea, perceive, take notice, turn your eyes, the mind, the attention to something, inspect that, gain knowledge of that situation, learn about that. There's that look at Him. And so John is saying to his two disciples, turn and see the Lamb of God. Turn with your eyes and see the Lamb of God. And so the Bible says this in John chapter 1, they went after him. They went after him. When when you encounter the one, he he draws you to go after him. it, it It might start as this curious thought, what's Jesus all about? Who is this Jesus? People talk about Jesus. But I have found before long, if you have an encounter with the presence of Jesus, it causes you to go after him. You want more. You're not satisfied with them. And Jesus, you know, turned and and saw them coming. And I I could preach a whole sermon on this because the fact that Jesus turned. I'm thankful that Jesus turned. I'm thankful that Jesus turned and saw me. Jesus Jesus turned and sees us. No matter where we're at, Jesus sees us. He's a God who sees us. He turns and sees us. You may feel far from God, but he's a God who turns and he sees us. And that's incredible. And so here, Jesus turned and saw him coming, and he goes, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Can I say tonight at 2023, September, at a resurgence, I feel like the Lord is saying to each one of us, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Because what you look for, you'll find. You know, what do you look, one version says this, what do you seek? That's how it interprets it. Fifteen years ago when we gathered in in September, or it was October, 15 years ago, we we were seeking. We were hungry for God. We wanted to have an encounter with God and bring people into a room and see what happens. Can I tell you, that hasn't changed in 15 years. The point of this all is to encounter a God, to seek God. That's what we're after. And I want to ask you, what are you seeking tonight? Because something brought you here. It's not ordinary that you would, if you're not from Spruce Grove, if you live down the street, it's pretty easy to come here. But if you're from Edmonton, you drove 25 minutes at least to get here. So you're seeking something tonight. And I believe God wants to meet with us tonight in in a divine way. See, an encounter with Jesus changes people. Nothing we can do but steward the encounter and get out of the way. And that's what we try to do. That's what we try to do is, how do we steward an encounter and get out of the way? I've told our worship team, I've told every speaker, if God shows up, get out of the way. This isn't about us. This isn't about a ministry name. This is, this is about Jesus. This is about people encountering Jesus. Because long after Travis, long after Donovan, long after any pastor you know, it's when you're all by yourself, how are you living that life with Jesus? That's what it's about. How is the Spirit using you every day? How have you encountered? How has it change your family? How has it change your attitude? How has it change your life? How are you being a conduit that God wants to use? It's about Jesus. And, and, um, and, you know, if our hearts are a place of encounter, then the Holy Spirit will always show up. If our hearts are set GPS to seek Him, He's going to show up. And, and, and Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be open. They go, Jesus, where do you live? That's their, that's their question. Where do you live, Jesus? I, I don't know if God said, hey, what are you seeking? Where do you live, Jesus? We want to know where you live. I don't know the purpose of that, saying, well, we're going we're to come hang out. That's what they did. They actually went to where he was living, and it said they stayed with him the rest of the night. Something happened. See, the words, these words, come and see, is what Jesus responded to them. Come and see. Come and see. And I think that's the starting point to the relationship with Jesus for all of us. He calls every one of us come and see. At some point along the way, you heard a come and see. It might not be audible, but there was this sense of come and see. Come and see. Every church should say come and see. And there's this point to where you're like, come and see that God is good. Come and see who he is. Come and experience him. Come and see. And this is what Jesus said. But here's the reality is that's the beginning of the trajectory. But we never stay at come and see. If we follow the life of the disciples, three years later, it's come and die. Take up your cross and follow me. And, and they systematically turns up the heat. And it's like, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Like it is, it, is, it gets, there's a maturing that happens. But it always starts at come and see. And he invites them to come and see, and they went and stayed, and Andrew went there. And then he went away, and he got Simon, and he says, I've just met the Messiah. You need to come meet him too. And he has a revelation of who Jesus really is. It then changes the trajectory of their lives, and they end up following Jesus the rest of their lives. See, one encounter with him will change everything. And here is Jesus now, maybe days, weeks, I don't know the time period. But this is the context of Jesus now ministering in this Luke 5 passage. And he's in this house and the religious people come. They're there because they're there and they're packing out the house. And there's more people that are going, come and see. I'm showed up, I'm hungry, I've heard about you. And they came there. And it says this, they came from everywhere, every village, even the big city, even Jerusalem, Judea, like they came, all the villages of Galilee were represented. There was a lot of people gathered. There were so many people, they couldn't even fit. They're outside the door. In the Mark version, it's like they were outside the door. There are so many people gathered in this house. And it says here, and the power of the Lord was present with Jesus to heal the sick. Come on. It's the power of God that shifts principalities. It's not the power of somebody speaking. It's the power of God. I can't heal someone. I can't set someone free. I can't deliver you, but I know one that can, and his name is Jesus. See, it's the power of God that takes a life like ours and says there's hope, there's a dream, there's a purpose that only God can can fill, and, and you need to live in that. It's only God who can take Saul and make him Paul. It's only a God who can take your life and make it what it's supposed to be. It's only God that can show up like in this story and and bring life to this paralytic man. See, it's a word in flesh that draws and turns to see us. It's the power of Jesus now in this house that people are going to really experience God. But there were obstacles to encountering Jesus. There are obstacles. We read the story. A paralyzed man couldn't get into the house. There was no room in the house for him. He had no access to the house. There was too many people. He couldn't see Jesus, and Jesus couldn't see him because there was too many people in that house. There was no room. It was past the fire code capacity. He could not get in. There was no accessibility in there. There was no accessible parking for him with his need. There was no ramp. There was no elevator. There was no uh, badge for his car where he could pull up and be ushered in and have a seat. There, There was no space for him. But the religious had their seats. There was people standing. They had their place to stand. And to add to this, in that day, if you had an infirmity, there was a lot of judging that would happen because of the law. So you were unclean, you were something happened, maybe it was your fault that you were even paralyzed. It doesn't matter if one day you were driving your donkey and there was another guy driving his donkey and he was a paraly- he was an impaired driver driving his donkey and he crashed into your donkey. It didn't matter. It could, have be, it's, could be your fault. That's how the law worked. And so there wasn't just this physical limitation. There was the limitation of what people thought. There was a limitation of judgment. There was a limitation of fear, of shame, of all this stuff. So he's not just facing people that are in his way physically. He's facing the thoughts of people, the judgments of people, the religious people that were there were, ah, towards him. And he couldn't get in. There was no access to To encounter Jesus. See, here's what I found. There's three things that can block us from an encounter with Jesus. Number one, me. God will not push himself unless I open. One of the greatest powers in the world is our choice. If we want God, he'll welcome us. But he's a gentleman. He does not push himself. He will not say, you need the Holy Spirit. Get it now. We have to go, okay, God, I want you. I, I have to cross that faith line to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. There, there has to be me. See, I can, I can stop what God wants to do. I can turn it off and say, no, I'm not interested. See, there's a choice daily to follow him. It takes a choice. It's not just a one-time thing. It's disciple-making. It's a journey. It's to say, Jesus, I'm going to hunger and seek after you every day. It, it starts with me. The second thing is I found that the, the other thing we can do is stop is, is people, the fear of people, judgments of people, hurt from people. Maybe you've been hurt in a church. Join the club. If you've been in a church, you've probably been hurt by the church. If you've not, I'm sorry to break it to you. It's coming very soon. I was getting my hair cut, and I told the barber, he goes, I've just been coming to church for five, five months, and he's, I said, oh, that's awesome, and he's telling me about a story, and I said, I, and I just felt the Lord say, tell him there's going to be hurt, and he needs to be ready for it, and it's okay, because there's hurt people in a church, and they're all getting well, and I said, I just, I felt to tell you, you might get hurt. But it's okay, keep in there. God will heal you and keep going. And he goes, it's funny, my wife just got hurt last week and it really discouraged us. Somebody never uh, invited us over to someone's house and it really hurt us. And he's like, it's funny because I thought the church is the best people in the whole world and nobody could do anything wrong and they're perfect saints. And he's like, it really like threw me for a loop. See, here's the reality, it's people. Sometimes people can be obstacles, what we do with that, how we respond to people. And, and, and you know, um, sometimes people pushing ahead of us, blocking us, all these things. When I was thinking of this today, I was reminded about a year ago, I, we went to a conference, my wife Jess and I, in Korea. And we're in Korea at the largest church in the world. I think they have 400,000 members, uh, Young E Cho's church. And so we're sitting in the wood pews, and there's about 10,000 or 12,000 people that get there every morning to pray at 6 a.m., Like it is, and and they're just praying, and uh, we got five minutes late, and there was not a person outside. I'm like, how does somebody not sleep in at this church? Like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Um, And so we get there, and we're sitting, and the conference is about to start, and Jessica goes, I have to go to the washroom. And the lady next to her says, oh, I gotta go too. So they're like, we're gonna go find the washroom in this church. So they go, and they're not coming back for like 30 minutes, and I'm thinking... It's a long time to go to the washroom. Like, is it that big? It's a big church, but 30 minutes? Like, what happened? So they come back, and the look on Jessica, the look on this other two ladies that were with them was like panic. And I'm like, what happened? And the other husband's like, what, what happened? And it's like, well, we got into this elevator, and we got into the elevator, but people just kept coming into the elevator. And Jess goes, I think there was 50 to 60 people in that elevator, and they just kept coming in. And then when we got to our floor to get out to go to the washroom, we tried to get out, and we're like, we got to get out. And people just kept coming in. And so she's like, we had, went up another floor. Finally, we had to yell and be like, we need to get out of the elevator. We were like pushed in. And, and so they got out, and they took the stairs on the, on the return trip. And, and three months later in Korea, there was a trampling that happened. I think it was 100 people got killed because of trampling. And, I, and so when I think of blocking, sometimes there can be blocking. And, and I think of this house. Jesus is in this house, and there's people. This guy can't get out. He can't, he can't get in, actually. He can't, he can't see Jesus. And then the third thing I think that can limit us and be obstacles is the enemy. And I don't like to talk about the devil, but the reality is we don't wrestle against flesh or blood. We're about principalities and darkness. See, the enemy can use lies and use hurt and use pain to speak over us. And it can limit and it can be an obstacle that God wants to set us free from. The voices in my head that tell me I I don't deserve access. I'm not good enough. I'm junk and make you feel like junk and you can never, oh, I can never be there. If they really knew what was going on inside of me, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't allow me. God couldn't use me because of all this stuff. That's a lie of the enemy. And he wants to set us free from that. And so there was no accessibility, and he never got a spot. But Jesus didn't come for those with the all-access pass. He came for everyone. And Jesus came for everyone, and he came for you. He came for me. He came to push past the obstacles. And we see another point. Faith eliminates the obstacles that everyone can have. Faith eliminates the obstacles of everyone. See, four men start carrying the man and they hit the obstacle. There's no space. Access is denied. They could just quit right there. They, they can't take their friend and lay him before Jesus. They don't know what Jesus is going to do, but there's something inside of them. I don't know if they had met Jesus before. I don't know if they were one of the disciples, Andrew. I'm not sure, but they knew if they could get him to Jesus, something could happen. There was something inside them that believed if they could just get in and Jesus could see him, maybe something could happen. And so they 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 must have known this. And so they so when they did not find a way what they did, you know, they they were trying to find the way to the way, Jesus, the truth, the life and the way, and they couldn't find a way to get to the way. And so they're like, okay, let's climb the stairs. There's some stairs. I don't know which of the four grabbed the corner. I can't imagine hauling a, a person. It would be heavy up these narrow stairs on these rooftops. In, in Bible times, they would have these stairs. And then someone's like, okay, get the saws all out, and let's start drilling a hole in the ceiling. So they're like, Zzzz. there's tiles falling. And, and, and Jesus is teaching, The religious people are there. People are standing. And can you imagine if I'm teaching right now, and all of a sudden pieces of drywall dust start falling down. You're like, what is going on at Spruce Grove Community Church? Like there is, and you hear like sounds, and Jesus just keeps teaching. And there's like, all of a sudden a little kid in the front is like, there's Aladdin. I knew the genie was real. Can I go on the magic carpet too? And this like rug starts coming down, the pulleys, a guy's like, hey, got the other side, make sure it doesn't drop, you know, and they're talking, and Jesus is like, okay, everybody's probably annoyed, the religious are like, what is happening right now, and and they have no clue what will happen, but they have the drive to get the guy into the room, because they know once you're in the room, anything can happen, and faith is that substance of things for the evidence of things not seen. They were nameless four guys. We don't know who those four guys were, but something stirred them. And when Jesus saw their faith, this is the profound part. He says, when they saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Their faith, not paralyzed Aladdin, their faith. Four nameless guys who worked hard to take someone to Jesus, who had no access and no way on his own, he then forgave the man on the mat. Today, we need to be reminded of the fact that faith is the only way to access Jesus. You you need to access Jesus by faith. There's a point in my brain, in my head, I couldn't figure out and analyze and figure out Jesus. I had to trust that the Bible says what's true and say, God, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to ask you to come into my heart. Uh, Secondly, once Jesus was in my heart to go, there's a Holy Spirit out there, and I want more. I don't know. how This doesn't make sense. I can't fit Holy Spirit in my spreadsheet. It doesn't work. And yet, I want more. And so there's a moment, there's that moment and that reminder and I don't know who it is. Maybe you have someone in your family tonight or there's someone you're believing for. Can I remind you, your faith can move mountains. Your faith can bring people to Jesus. Your prayers are not void. They, they don't go unanswered. The faith of that person, those four, was able to bring the paralyzed guy to Jesus. That's pretty incredible. And his sins were forgiven as a result. See, faith pushed past every obstacle. See, if we wait for the obstacles to move, you never get to the encounter. See, faith breaks limits. Every time we compare, we limit the Holy Spirit in our lives. Every time we compare to someone else or something else or somewhere else, we're limiting what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And I believe tonight God wants to break every ceiling open and say faith wants to break the ceiling open tonight to say whatever God's called you to live, to do, He's called you to do. Don't compare yourself to other people or other things. God is God, and He's called it forth for your life, not someone else's life. And I believe He wants to just break the ceilings of limitation tonight. Break the ceilings of limitation over Spruce Grove tonight. Break the ceilings of limitation over Edmonton, over this region, over Canada. It's time to believe for our nation again. We can turn on the news and we can fear or we can start dreaming of a better nation. We can start praying and declaring what His promises are yes and amen. See, the authority of the one impacts everyone. The authority of the one impacts everyone. The authority of Jesus is Impacts things. And we have something else going beneath the surface in this story. We have a showdown. See, you have um, the religious people are there. They're the teachers of the law, they're the ones that hold the law. They've been doing that for a long time, and they're concerned. The crazy teacher, Jesus, is on the move. So they've shown up to debunk him, to to see what's going on, to say, oh, this is deception. You know, put put a blog up on the internet. They're there for that reason, you know, and and they're there. But in Bible times, the, the schools were different in that age. See, in our school, when I went to school, maybe this has changed, I got a seat at a little desk, and the teacher stood But in Bible times, the teachers would sit and the students would stand. And sitting is a sign of authority. You're the teacher, you get to sit on the throne, (laughs) and everybody else stands. There's an authority thing going on. So in this story, we know that they're sitting. But we also see in Matthew 5, Jesus sat. And some scholars say that in this story, Jesus was also sitting. So here you got Jesus coming on the scene, and he's sitting, and they're sitting, and there's a showdown going on. There's a standoff of who is the teacher? Who who has the right word? Who is the one you're listening to? So you already have the tension in the room, the law, the rules, and the savior in a standoff. And the four men they came expecting a healing for Aladdin. And the man came expecting a healing. But Jesus uh, past, sees past the obstacles and physically and looks at the obstacles of his heart. He looks right at his heart and he says, "You are forgiven. Only Jesus can do that. Other people can heal, but when He did that, oh, we're on. And it was like, did what, what did he just do? The religious people are thinking these thoughts, they're having all these things, and, 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 and this is going on. And, and, and they're like, okay, he's not just a teacher, he's not just a good guy, he now just moved into the God realm. For him to forgive sins, he must be God, or he says he's God, or whatever. For him to do that, he doesn't have the authority to do that. And so there's this showdown, and everyone is expecting Jesus to say, yeah, be healed. But he says, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus cares about their hearts first. What's happening is his whole life was to demonstrate the kingdom. It wasn't just healing. It was to demonstrate the kingdom, to show he is the Son of Man, to show that he is God's Son. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, to, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus reads their minds. Words of knowledge here. And the showdown just, like, got the trump card played. I mean, this is, this is, this went boom. Like, the mic drop, Jesus reads their thoughts, and then says, a son of man has, so now you're the son of, like, this is just, and then the guy gets healed. See, Jesus came to establish his kingdom. Everything changes, because now Jesus has the authority Jesus takes the authority. He's the Messiah in the room. See, I'm convinced of this. Good ideas, good programs, good strategies, good buildings, mean, nice people, meaningful things are all great, but they won't see Canada changed. They won't see Canada healed. They won't see our lives healed. They can be a part of it, but in the end, without the power of God, without the authority of Jesus, nothing will happen. It's the authority of Jesus that opens blind eyes. It's the authority of Jesus to change a heart. It's the authority of Jesus. Mm -hmm, That removes addiction. It's the authority of Jesus. And and authority is kind of like backing. If I said to you tonight, I have a lot of money. I have millions of dollars. And I'm going to pull up my Brinks trucks and it's all Monopoly money. You're going to say, That's nice. It's worth not even the paper it's on. It's worth nothing. It's monopoly money. There's nothing about Millions of dollars in monopoly money. But if I told you that monopoly money has gold attached to it, and it represents gold for every dollar, it represents gold, you're like, oh, I'll have some of that. Because there's value to it. See, authority is like the backing. It's the thing that backs it up. So you can say whatever, but once Jesus says, okay, now I got the authority, it's a whole different ballgame. Amen. Amen. See, if a guy in the street says stop, you might. You might not. But if the guy in the street says stop and he's wearing a badge that says police, you might go to jail if you don't stop. Why? Because that guy has authority. He has an authority, and so here's what's happening is Jesus now has this authority, not just to heal, but to forgive. And as a result, I can forgive people because Jesus, what he did later on the cross, now I can forgive people that hurt me, people that have, and, and I can release what I'm holding on to for other people that torment me. See, it's because of Jesus' divine authority that comes in knowing the Word that I can live my life and walk out of that authority. And then we see this. Everyone means unity. See, an encounter with the one of authority that, that has, has sent us and impacts each one of us in our room also leads us to unity. Unity doesn't start with saying, hey, let's get together and have unity. But I believe it starts with reconciling each other to Jesus. The heart of the Father. Jesus dying on the cross has made unity possible. I've been a part of a lot of unity movements, and if they're unity for the sake of the unity, you miss Jesus, it all falls apart. Because you're about the lowest common denominator. You're about the thing that unites us. Listen, we find unity by finding the cross. It's the vertical implications of the cross. When I connect with the vertical, and I connect with God up top, and I come to the foot of the cross, and I say, God, I need you. I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Set me free. And then other people stand, and they do the same thing. Then we find ourselves at the horizontal part of the cross, where the cross reaches every race, every generation, every person, and says, everyone's welcome at the foot of the cross. And when we find ourselves at the foot of the cross together, that's when unity happens. That's when unity can change things. That's when there's unity together. That's, you know, I've had the privilege of being on many First Nations communities in Canada, and people say, well, how do we see, how do we see um, unity? See, it starts when we know our identity in the Father. And we all know our identity in the Father. And then we meet at the foot of the cross. Unity can happen reconciliation can happen. We're going to see the greatest moves of God, I believe, in our First Nations communities that are going to lead to our entire nation coming to Jesus. Why? Because there's going to be unity. There's going to be reconciliation. See, if unity or any other truth is what we rally behind, we lose orbit. Just as the sun and the earth orbit the sun, just as we need to orbit Jesus. And if we don't orbit Jesus, we come out of alignment. We miss it. See, Jesus is what we need to center around. Unity is come and see and come and encounter Jesus. And when we do that, we find ourselves at the foot of the cross with people from other denominations, people from other races, people from other ages, all of it at the foot of the cross. Saying, God touched me. Oh, he touched you too. Let's walk together. Resurgence, a unity movement. We didn't start. Someone said, you're a unity movement. I said, well, we just started gathering, and what happened was a unity movement. We wanted a building, but God never gave us a building. He just moves us to different churches, and then people came, and, and, and we've, just, we've touched all these denominations, but our heart is in the unity. Our heart is Jesus, but out of knowing Jesus, it's going to be unity. See, there's something happens at resurgence that doesn't happen at a local church. There is incredible things happening at local churches in this city and I honor you guys at Spruce Grove. There's incredible well here, what God is doing, the conferences you do. We've prayed for that. We've prayed for that in other churches. There's some great churches in our city doing great conferences. The thing that separates resurgence from all of the great stuff that's happening and and we're cheering on is there's something when we all come together in unity, something can shift. And I believe that if we want to see uh, revival in Canada, Jesus says, you want revival? I said, be united. And once you're united, I'm going to bring revival. And there's something about unity. And listen, there's brothers and sisters. When we start a resurgence, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm conservative. I'm Baptist. I would never come to a resurgence. I'm Pentecostal. You're too charismatic for me. Whatever. All these walls and all these people. And it's funny. Donovan's Baptist and he's on our team, you know? And, And it's funny. The walls are coming down where people said, this is this camp and this is this camp. See, we like to put people in boxes and say, well, you're like this. And we don't really get to know and hear the story and learn. There are things in every church and every denomination that I can learn. If I'm humble enough to go, hey, what's the thing that is on your life? The Anglicans have incredible liturgy and incredible things. There's from every church, every denomination, there's things that are just rich. And if we we would take time, it would strengthen and give us a, a more robust faith. We would see Jesus in so many different ways. See, when everyone encounters God, the Bible says everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. We have seen remarkable things today. See, shared experiences unite people, too. And there was a shared experience that happened. It didn't matter if it was the kid or the adult. They were all like, wow, Jesus just dropped the mic in here. Like, this is boom. This is crazy. And then one thought, the last, I think second last thought I have. It's the last thought. We're near the end. Everyone starts with the one, with one. See, Jesus in the full house of people saw one man on a mat, and he forgave his sins, and he gets healed. He stands up. I can imagine his muscles were a little shaky. There's atrophy in his muscles, that, that it was a little bit of an adjustment to get up. I don't know if he was planning what was gonna happen, but as he shakily walks out of there, He's forgiven, he's set free, he's now healed. What do you say? (laughs) Jesus then takes up, says, take up your mat and go home. So he takes up the thing that was holding him, the thing that lowered him in, and he he takes that very thing and he goes away praising God. See, I want to declare that the story of our lives, the story of your life that maybe has held you in the past is the very thing that you're going to be holding. And it's going to be the testimony of Jesus. The very thing that held you back or the very thing that held you in captivity or the very struggle that you've been through is the very thing that you're going to help others come to Jesus. Because when God touches your life, then what happens is it's a testimony to others that he can touch in that way. So if you came out of addiction and you came out of a struggle and you can say, God set me free from drugs, well, that's the testimony of Jesus as a spirit of prophecy to someone else. He can do the same that he did for me. See, the very thing that was holding him, now he's holding in his hand. He has victory over. He has the keys over. He he has seen victory over it. See, I was bullied in junior high so so many times. I've got to share that story to junior high age kids. You you were bullied, but I, I was, I one time shared, is it Woodhaven? Is that Spruce Grove? Or Stony Plain? Woodhaven. I was there. I've shared that a, a number of times at Woodhaven. Why? Because now it's, a testimony of what Jesus did in my life. See, it's, it's, it's the goodness of God, and he's available. And in Luke 5, we see four men take a mat who would never get to Jesus on their own. They grabbed the a corner of the mat. And I think it's a call on your life and my life where we grab a corner of the mat. I don't know what mat he's calling you to grab. I don't know what your mat looks like, but I, I'm... I'm, I'm um, impressed on this thing of we need to reach the one we need to reach every one and sometimes it's easy to see crowds and forget the one it's easy to see stadiums and big churches but every church every stadium everything is made up of ones every seat is one And there's one life that you interact with every day. There's one person somewhere that you see the one. And I believe God wants to bring a movement of people that see the one. I have a heart to see stadiums filled. I have a heart to see churches. I have a heart to see that. But listen, it it can't be greater than seeing the one. It's about one life, one person. It's a call to prayer. It's a call to start declaring boldness to say, hey, we're taking you to Jesus That's what gather and pray is all about. That's why we're doing it with all these churches in the region, to say it's time to declare over the capital region. We're grabbing a corner of the mat, and we're declaring with prayer what you're going to do, God, in this region. We know you're going to do great stuff. In North America church, we, you know, I've read this the other day, we make 35,000 decisions a day. That's pretty crazy. 35,000 decisions, 222, I don't know how they know this, are about food. (laughs) I know I think a lot more, my wife would say, you think probably 2,000 times about food. You're always thinking about food. But 35,000 decisions a day. Little decisions, decisions you probably never even thought about, but decisions a day. And, And here's what, as I was thinking about that, in North America, we have equated the will of God to comfort. We say, okay, um, if God's calling you to something, do you have peace in that? And it's one thing to have peace in your heart, but sometimes we take it past. Does it feel easy? (laughs) And if it's not easy, maybe it's not God speaking there. But the problem with that is God doesn't just call us to easy things. He calls us to hard things. And are you willing to do the hard thing He calls you to? And if you start doing something and you're like, okay, God called me to this thing, and all of a sudden it gets hard, did God not call you to that thing? Did you take the wrong turn, or is it just because God's called you to do something hard? I remember Danielle Strickland. She's a speaker. She used to have a church, Salvation Army, down on One Eighteenth Ave. I went to speak for her once. It was there was twenty-two people, and she had this conference, Go for Souls. And so I'm there speaking. And at the end of it, her and this other lady, um, Ruth, uh, prayed for me, and they said, "We see your feet. Your feet are going to go to many places." but it's going to be difficult. And I'm like, new word. See, thanks for that. Next, you know, I don't like that. I don't want to go to difficult places. Send me the nice places. But listen, God doesn't call us just to nice places. Second Timothy 3.2 says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, we, we, if comfort is our guide, it's hard to determine what God is saying. Let's not let comfort be our guide. Let's let God be our guide. Where is he calling us? What is he calling us to do? You know, uh, in June, I was a part of this thing in Amsterdam, 2023, and and, and there was some clips of it on there, and we had 7,000 evangelists or mission-minded people from around the globe. It was the largest gathering of mission-minded people in the world, and it was to start a 10-year journey to see by 2033, can we see everybody on planet Earth have an encounter with Jesus? have the opportunity to have an encounter. Not everyone will, but could we have the opportunity? Some some groups don't even have a Bible, so could we finish Bible translation? Those groups are working, but could everybody do something to reach one? Everyone. And and as I was there, and, and you know, Rick Warren was there, and he was talking, and he was on our podcast, he says, if you want the anointing of God, care about what he cares about. He cares about bringing his lost children home. He said this, God is looking for people to make God's dream their dream. Stop saying, God, bless my dream. See what he's blessing. And God won't spare anything for someone who makes God's dream their dream. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I don't want to waste my life. See, Matthew 9, 37, he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. See, something is lacking. It's not technology. We have chat GBT. We have AI. It's not the word. The word is enough. It's not the harvest. There's a lot of harvest. It says the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers. The workers are lacking. And I want to ask, someone to just come play the keys. Curtis, if you'd come. And um, I don't know what this means for each one of us, but I feel a call to say, will you grab a corner of the mat And if it means you got to climb some stairs and do something hard, are you willing to do it? If it means you got to get your saws all out and cut the roof of a place to get the person to Jesus, then you'll do it. There's some people that will never get to Jesus unless you and me grab a corner of the mat and carry them to Jesus. They will never get there. They will never get to Jesus. We left this conference, Jess and I, and we uh, were flying back through Toronto. She had to work the next day. Our plane was delayed about four hours. And so we were like in the airport in Toronto. We didn't know, but when we got home that night, our fridge had died. We didn't know this. And the smell of chicken rotting for seven days was awaiting us. And so those COVID masks came in handy. Um, we didn't know this at this point. We're tired, we flew from Amsterdam to Toronto. We're there, there's a delay and a delay. And we're sitting in this part of the airport. And all of a sudden as I'm sitting there, just like, I gotta do schoolwork and she's working on stuff and trying to figure it all out. And I'm just like, I'm gonna go get some snacks, you know? I'm just tired. We learned about reaching the world. We heard these great speakers and I got to speak It's like all this stuff about reaching everyone, the masses. And as we're there, I just was like kind of prompted like, where's the one, where's the one? And all of a sudden out of nowhere, these wheelchairs get coming in. And there's two wheelchairs, um, and then a, a lady walking, and then a guy pushing one of the wheelchairs, another lady pushing wheelchair, and they're like, we need the private room. And so the airport staff is ushering him in, and I'm like, they're wearing hats to say queen, and all this stuff, and I'm like, who, like they're done up. And I'm like, Jess, do you know who those people are? They look like they're somebody. Like, you just see it. They're in wheelchairs, but they look like they're, st- they're an artist or something. And the manager is pushing, and I'm like, okay, there's, there's something here. So then I finally, they go get some snacks. They don't get the room. The room's not available to them, so they're there. They're upset about that. And so I went up to the airport lady, and I said, hey, do you know who this person is? She goes, you don't know who it is? I'm like, no, I, I don't. She goes, oh, it's a Grammy award-winning artist. She's won 10 Grammys. She's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I said, oh tells me the name never heard of this person i'm like wow okay so i'm like that's crazy so i go sit down and i just said jesus if you want me to reach one what do i do and nothing happened and i was like do i go over there but it's like it's a thing and the manager he seemed intense he's not going to let me near like it's going to be awkward i don't even really have anything to say what am i going to say jesus loves you i mean that's good but i don't know what i'm going to say So I'm just like, okay, God, if you want me to do something, I'm in. But Could you bring them to me? (laughs) Because I just don't know how to approach. The minute I prayed that, one of the girls stands up, a younger girl, walks towards us and goes, hey, do you guys have a charger over here? Is there an outlet? I said, oh, there's one right there. She goes, oh, it's plugged in for you. And I said, oh, move it. There's an extra outlet. She like, oh, thank you so much. So then I'm like, oh, are you here? She goes, yeah, we just did a show. We're back, going back to Santa Monica. We're from Santa Monica, and my mom just performed. And I go, okay, that's your mom. And so she told us about her mom, and and then I just said, the Lord just put on my heart that he wants to heal you. You have a broken heart. And she just broke into tears. And so then we pulled the chair up. Jess and I pulled the chair up. She sits down, and we prayed for her. And God just ministered to her. And she's bawling, receiving, like, listen, thank you so much. I needed this. She gets up. She goes back over. She's a mess. Her mom comes back from getting a drink. And she's like, what happened to you? We're watching this. Jess goes back to her work. You know, she's getting stuff done. And I'm like, Jess, someone else is going to come over. So all of a sudden, this is happening. And I see the mom goes over and, like, hugs her daughter. She's bawling. And the mom looks over at us. I'm like, I didn't do it. And so then the mom walks over. So we pull up the chair again, just a hot seat. And we're like, have a seat. She tells us her story. She tells us how she's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then she says, can you pray? Can you pray for my son? He just overdosed. Can you Can you pray? And we just started to pray. And we got an opportunity to talk to someone. I don't know where she's at on the faith journey but all i know is i did what god called us to do that night we don't know what it looks like we just got to do what he's put in our hand two weeks ago i was going back from edmonton to we're, we're living in yakima washington so i'm back and forth and we're there for two years my wife's doing a residency program and so i was here and going back and um i ended up getting an uber to the airport. Last minute, my mom was going to drive me in, and I like, Oh, I'll just get an Uber. So I got an Uber, get into the Uber, and the guy starts talking to me. He just came over from Pakistan or India. I think it was India. And he said to me, Okay, and he's telling me all about his life. And so then I said, Do you know about Jesus? He goes, Well, a little bit. And so then I shared, and he shared about his faith. We pulled up to the airport. And I said, I want to encourage you, go home tonight and say, Jesus, if you're real, I invite you to come into my life. See if he's real. You try a lot of things. And he's like, so how would I do that? So I said, well, you'd pray this and just ask him. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science, Just pray a prayer, ask him in your heart. So I shared how to do it. And then I finally said, hey, would you like to do it now? I was, like, nervous. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, you want to do it now? He's like, sure. Okay. I didn't expect that. We're pulled up. Cars are coming around us. He turns on his seat, and I just said, repeat after me, Jesus, Jesus, would you come into my life? That easy. Listen, there is a generation, there are people that are just waiting to be told the gospel. Just waiting to encounter him. This last week, we went to these different communities, and on last night, we were in Saddle Lake. We didn't know how many people we got there. It's a small school. There was a school room. Like, you know those portables? If you grew up in school and there's those portables, it was a portable. And it was a really small room. And I'm like, I don't know who's coming. We start, there were five people. By the end of the night, there was maybe 25. So it's 25 people in this room, maybe 20. And um, Donovan did worship. It was incredible. And uh, there was a bunch of youth and kids in there, and at the end I preached. And then I just felt, God's here to heal. If you have pain in your body, he wants to heal you. And so this lady says, oh, I got pain. And we prayed. And there was all of a sudden the pain lifted off her. And, and then right in the front row, this 11-year-old, she said, I have pain. I said, oh, OK, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Like, how, how can I pray? And she said, every time I sit down, it hurts. And every time I stand up, it hurts. It hurts a lot. And she, you could tell, it really hurt her. And she showed us. So I said, let's pray. Let's pray. So I prayed, Jesus, we just pray this pain would leave now. We thank you that you love her. And so then she sits there and she, I said, well, can you stand up? Let's see, like, let's see what Jesus did. And as she stands up, I saw her eyes. Donovan was there too. And we saw her eyes, and her eyes just start getting bigger and bigger. And it was this bigness as she stood up. And then we just saw them well with tears, streaming down her cheeks. And she said, it's gone. And she started doing this, and she's like, I'm totally, its its it's gone. She goes, and can I get a tissue? And it's like streaming down. So I go get a tissue. Her friend gets touched. We pray for her, and we were praying for others. And then at the end of the night, she comes to me, and I have it on my dresser. She says, thank you for coming. She gives me a little note. says, thank you for coming. Have a great night. And then she says, can I tell you something else? I said, sure. My friend and I, when you were praying for other people, we watched a mouse run under the piano behind you. (laughs) There's a mouse in here. I'm like, oh great, church mouse. Maybe the mouse got saved. I was telling someone that earlier and they said, is there a mouse in here? No, there's no mouse in here. Don't worry, it was in that church. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? Come and see. This passage is the heart of resurgence. What I shared tonight, this is what we're about. To encounter him, come and see. What are you looking for and how do we live this out? How do we reach everyone? How do we, God, you've called everyone, but you've called us to reach everyone. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. We hope that you were blessed. For more information about resurgence, including how you can take part of this great movement, visit www.liveresurgence.com.